What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Boombox Guru, music commentary and music discussion for music lovers. I'm your host, LB, and we got a very good episode for you guys today. So if you don't want to miss out, tune in and keep it locked in. Yo, what's good, everybody? Just want to welcome you all to another brand new episode of the Boombox Guru. I'm your host, LB. And uh, before I begin this whole episode, man, just hope everybody out there is having a good day. It's had a good week so far. Uh, me, I think my week has been a bit better than it has been in previous ones. Uh, I think recently, yeah, recently, man, I decided to really commit to something. Not going to go into too much detail about it, but I just recently decided to, to commit to something that, you know, in the long run is going to be very beneficial to me. Uh, you know, with much prayer, you know, you know, contemplating on it, I finally decided to just go ahead and stick with this this whole commitment that I decided to take on, this whole journey I decided to take on, and I, yeah, I think it's really gonna, I think it's really gonna be beneficial in the end. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna hit hit a few bumps in the road, but I think that with where I'm at now, with my mindset and where I'm at now, I think I'll be able to you know, easily overcome it. But enough about me. Uh, let's get into this episode, man. So the, today's episode, man, I'm ranking Tupac Shakur's albums. Yes, the late, great Tupac Shakur. I'm ranking his albums from 1991 to 1996. And uh, as I'm looking on his Wikipedia page, man, it's crazy, man. Tupac only, he only released four studio albums in his lifetime. Yeah, he only released four studio albums in his lifetime, man, and because the Machiavelli album was actually his first posthumous album, although he did have creative input on that record, but it, it didn't come out to about two or three months after his death. But yeah, man, he only released four studio albums in his lifetime. And then with recent interviews and stuff that people have been uh, have been putting up on YouTube, interviewing people that knew him, that were close to him, talking about all the stuff that he done during his lifetime. It's amazing how much he was able to accomplish at just 25 years old. I mean, the dude was already a rap star, a movie star. I mean, he was doing, he was making a lot of accomplishments by the time he was 25. I think, I think about where I was at at 25. I mean. Man, it's just crazy, man, to see how he how he did he how he did so much, man. He was definitely he was definitely a go getter. He's def he definitely was on one during his lifetime, during his period, man. But yeah, you know, uh, one of the most influential rappers, MCs, and hip hop, especially for a lot of the artists that came out after him. And even now, even even now, you know, there, there's still a lot of art, a lot of artists that are influenced by him, man. And you know, he his legacy just transcended past hip hop, past music in general. You know, I think more people like Tupac the person than they than more so the rapper. But uh, you know, you can go online, and you can see where there's all types of murals and stuff of him painted all over the world. All over the world, man, and that, that's just that's just crazy, man. You know, he did it. He, you know, he managed to attain that 
I mean, of course, a lot of this came after his death, but you know, just the impact that he he managed to put within hip hop and within music in general at such a young age, man. And then on top of that, you know, there's even college courses that uh, talk about his lyrics. There, there's actually courses in college and universities, classes that discuss his lyrics and his poetry and stuff of that, stuff of that nature, man. So, I mean, it's just amazing to see how how hip hop has really uh, become global, how it's really solidified, and you know, uh, and you know, Pac came from a really you know, his background, man, he came from a militant background, you know, his, both his parents were in the Black Panther Party, you know, a lot of his family members were, you know, were black revolutionaries and, and such, and a lot of that was reflected in his lyrics, a lot of his subject matter on his albums, as well as in his own, like, personality and stuff, you know, I always like to, I always like to put Tupac, and Ice Cube, and Ice-T, and, and others in that whole category known as revolutionary but gangster. You know what I'm saying? They were they were revolutionaries, man, but they had that gangster twist when it came to that when it came to that style and that that whole that whole persona or whatever, man. But uh yeah, man, without further ado, you know, sit back, relax. We're gonna get into this album ranking of Tupac Shakur. So uh stay tuned, keep it locked in. This is the Boombox Guru. Alright man, so uh so coming in at number six, yeah, we got the debut album from Tupac called Tupacalypse Now, released in nineteen ninety one. Uh this came out on TNT Records or TNT Recordings and Interscope Records, man. And uh I think yeah, it was last year. Last year I actually managed to snag a, an original C D pressing of Tupacalypse Now with the Interscope a records logo and the TNT recordings logo. Yeah, I snagged it at a at a record store that I go to. But yeah, this is the debut album from Tupac, released in 1991. Man, this was when he was still, you know, a part of the Digital Underground uh, collective, the whole that whole Digital Underground family. This is when he was still a part of that. So a lot, of, the production was done by Digital Underground, by Shock G, you know, DJ Fuse. All those, everybody, everybody that was involved in Digital Underground, you know, this was this was something that they they produced. And, you know, this was coming off the heels of when Tupac made his first public rap appearance, his first major rap appearance, which was on the same song, the Digital Underground track, same song from This Is an EP release, as well as uh, I can't think of the name of that movie. I want is it nothing but trouble? It was it was a movie that Dan Aykroyd and Demi Moore and a bunch of them did back in the early nineties. This weird kind of comedy horror movie, but Digital Underground made an appearance in that movie and where they where they played the song same song. But yeah, that was Tupac's first major appearance on the record. But yeah, this Tupac lives now is coming off of this. It's coming off of this, and uh, now even though I got this. And number six, the thing is, I don't think Tupacalypse Now is is a bad album. It's actually one of my favorite Tupac records because it's very different from his later albums. Because 
this is before you got the thugged out Tupac. You know, this was way before Thug Life. Definitely way before Death Row. This was a different Tupac, man. This is when Pac was still more on his militant vibe. Where he was more Afrocentric. You know, he was really, he was still with the whole Black Power, Panther Power vibe. That was his whole vibe during this era. And all of that is conveyed on this record. It's it's a very, like, more Afrocentric in nature. And I also dig the whole underground feel that this record has. It has a very kind of rough underground underground feel to it as well, man. But you can honestly say that Tupacalypse Now is arguably uh, Pac's most political album. Because a lot of the songs on here, a lot of a lot of good social commentary, especially of things that were happening at the time. You know, you get this, you get a lot of the subject matter about police brutality, you know, uh, corrupt government, you know, poverty. A lot of the subject matter that continued to be a mainstay in Tupac's lyrics and so forth, man. But you know some songs on here, some highlights on this album would have to be let's see, Trapped. Trapped was actually one of the singles from the album. Uh, the first time I heard that song though was on the Tupac Resurrection documentary, and of course Trapped is about police brutality. You know, it's, that's what that song is about. Is Tupac telling stories about being harassed, beaten by the police, and stuff of that nature. And what's what's really what's really kind of crazy is that at the time. When Tupac wrote this song, he really didn't have any trouble with the police. He was actually just telling stories that his friends were telling him. But, you know, not long after this record came out, he actually got beat up by the police in Oakland. He actually got beat up by the police. But, yeah, Trap, that was one of the that was one of the uh, singles from the album. I think it might have been the second single from the record. I'm not sure. And then you got Soldier Story. Soldier Story is one of the highlights of that album, man, because Soldier Story is actually the song is actually a story about uh uh George Jackson. At least that's what the song uh if I now that I think about it, I think that's what the song was actually inspired by. It was inspired by the story of George Jackson. Uh definitely look him up, man. There's a book about George Jackson called uh Soledad. Soledad Brothers, but yeah, George Jackson, man, he was a, uh, he was a political prisoner, yeah, he was an activist, he was a political prisoner, and he actually co-founded the, uh, Black Gorilla Family, that, you know, the, the, the prison organization, yeah, he was one of the co-founders of that, man, uh, but, the Soldier Story actually tells a story about how, and this is actually a true story, uh, George Jackson, he was in prison, right, and his brother and a other and a other a whole gang of uh people, a part of a crew or whatever, they actually got in. They actually got into the inside the prison and took over the prison in an in an escape attempt in that in an effort to break him out of prison. Yeah, you can look it up. There's there was a movie even there was a bi- biopic that was even uh done about this this whole story. Man, uh, Gary Dorden actually played uh. George Jackson in that movie, but yeah, George Jackson's younger brother and and a few more people, they actually went inside the prison that he was locked up in, and they took it over in an attempt to break him out, but, you know, all of them ended up being murdered. They all, they all ended up getting killed, any, so it didn't actually happen. 
as far as them, they didn't they didn't manage to get through with it. You know what I'm saying? They ain't they all ended up dead. But yeah, that's what Soldier Story is about. It's a, it's actually about that about that whole situation that took took place in I think it was nineteen seventy one, yeah. But that that's a very interesting song. And there was a lot of controversy behind Soldier Story because I believe it was in Texas, uh this young kid he actually shot and killed a Texas Ranger that pulled him over. And when he was brought in for questioning and everything, he actually said that what inspired him to do that was the song A Soldier's Story from uh, Tupacalypse Now. And Vice President Dan Quayle at the time, then Vice President Dan Quayle at the time, he he really went hard on uh, Tupac in that song. Uh, he... He held, he held some type of press conference where he actually had the CD of Tupacalypse Now. He he made a statement saying that, 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 you know, this album has no place in our society and stuff like that. So, that was one of Tupac's first earliest controversies that, that kind of brought him in out there in the public eye as far as, like, controversy. You know, that was one of his first major controversial issues was that right there. And then, uh, of course... The song called "Words of Wisdom," man, that's one of the high, that's another highlight of the song. I, I like the production on that song because it's got this kind of jazzy uh, vibe to it. It's very jazzy, almost kind of tribal feel to it as well. And you know, it's just it's just Tupac just he's just being socially conscious, man. You know, he's talking about government corruption. He's talking about you know the plight of black people in the ghetto and, and things of that nature. He's just he just really just letting out all his frustration about all the things that's happening in the world, man. And my favorite part of the song is at the end is where he gives a shout out to like similar artists of that time. Like he gives a shout out to like Ice Cube. He gives a shout out to Paris, Public Enemy, you know, KRS One and Boogie Down Productions. You know, these are all artists that were making this type of content too as well during this period, man. But that's but that's that's another highlight. I listen to that song quite a bit quite a bit because a lot of the stuff that he a lot of stuff that he says on there man you know it's still relevant to the day you know and, and in between the verses man there's really no hook there's really no hook on that song it doesn't really have a hook uh in between the verses he goes on like these kind of monologues these rants you know basically just pretty much just venting his frustration at the corruption and everything that's going on in America and then uh, uh, Crooked Crooked Ass Nigga is another good song on here, man. That's more of like a gangster rap type song uh, produced by the Live Squad and featuring Stretch, who at the time was one of Tupac's closest friends. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's not much really to go about that song, man. It's just one of one of those kind of typical like hardcore hip hop songs, gangster rap songs that were typical, uh, you know, of that era. But it's one of my favorites on on the album. And then, of course, you got Brenda's Got a Baby. Brenda's Got a Baby. That was the biggest hit from the record. Uh, one of Tupac's most uh, most recognized songs. Uh, very touching song, too. You know, it's, Tupac got inspired to write this song because he read in a newspaper about a teenage girl who actually threw her baby in a trash can. So that inspired him to write this whole entire song. And this is another song that doesn't really have a hook. The song is just Tupac telling the story of his version, you know, of a young woman 
a young woman who is a, a, a pregnant teenager, has a baby underage. She's only like 13 years old, and she's come. She comes from a very dysfunctional family. You know, the parents are on drugs. There's there's like incest involved. You know, and now that I'm older, when I think about it, man, that I mean, a lot of the stuff that he talked about in that song, you know, is very troubling because this is stuff that still happens today. You know, this is nothing. This this is nothing new. Uh, this is stuff that still continues today, man. But it's just a really touching story, man. This is a really touching story. And to think about it, it was a, it was a, it was actually a hit too. The song was actually a hit. You know, nowadays, you know. A song with, with such serious subject matter like that, you know, it's not going to get played on the radio or anything like that or be a hit. But th- that song was actually the biggest hit from the album. And then uh, I like the last song here called Part Time Mother is another another really good song. Uh, it's where Tupac, he kind of they kind of flipped that whole uh, Stevie Wonder song, Part Time Lover. And, uh, you know, Tupac's just telling a story about. You know, coming from about a mother who's addicted to drugs and how that whole situation, how it affects the children and everything. Sometimes I wonder if maybe he was talking about his own mom, but I don't know if he even knew about his mother's drug addiction at the time that he did this song. He could could just be telling a story of something that he heard from one of his friends or, or he just heard from somebody from the hood or whatever, but... It's another amazing song, and I think it's also partly inspired by the song called "Part-Time Sucker" from uh, Boogie Down Productions, because they did a song on uh, by All All Means Necessary album called "Part-Time Sucker," that was maybe not the same subject matter, but it it also kind of flipped the whole Stevie Wonder "Part-Time Lover" track. So I think partly that was inspired by that, man. But but like I said, you know, uh, I don't think Tupac was now is a terrible album, but you know, this was young Tupac, man. This was when he was 20 years old. So he hadn't really got, he hadn't really hit his niche yet. He, had, he hadn't really hit his peak at this point. You know, and it, you can kind of tell from the lyrics, well, not the lyrics, but some, you know, the way he flows, you can kind of tell that, you know, this was his first album. You can tell. He just doesn't, now I ain't going to say he doesn't sound confident, but you can tell that, you know, he just hadn't he hadn't really hit his stride just yet. When you listen to it, you can tell that this was his first record, and this was him like this was like the, the beginning stages of where Pop was coming from. You know, but all around, man, I think it's one of his best albums, in my opinion. But you know, I don't think it's I can't I couldn't really put it above any of the other ones just yet. But uh, let's get to the next song on here. Uh, excuse me, the next album. And I don't know, some of y'all might be upset about this, man, but... So, at number five, man, I chose the Thug Life album. Thug Life, Volume 1. Uh, released in 1994, man. I, I mean, I gotta be honest, you know, personally for me... Like I said, this this whole album's ranking thing, this is just my opinion, but... I don't know, the Thug Life album doesn't get a whole lot of replay value with me. Like, every once in a while, I'll put it in... And I'll listen to it. Maybe even after I do this episode, I'll probably listen to it. I'll probably get a, I'll probably get a vibe and want to listen to it, man. But I don't really listen to this album that much. And I think, I think it's because the record didn't really come out the way it was supposed to. It, it just feels very unfinished, and that's because it didn't come out how it was supposed to. They recorded. 
I think the original album had over 20 tracks, if I'm not mistaken, or close to it. But see, this record came out when a lot of these record labels, these major labels, they were catching a lot of heat because of gangsta rap. Gangsta rap had become a real controversial thing at this time. A lot of people, a lot of these record labels were catching heat, especially after the whole Ice T Cop Killer controversy. Even though Cop Killer was not a rap song, it was a metal song. It was a thrash metal song, which was done by Ice T's metal band Body Count. But for whatever reason, because it was Ice T, a lot of these other record labels and artists started catching the heat too. So Interscope, they made uh, Tupac and Thug Life cut like half the songs off. And you can find a lot of these songs on YouTube. And there's been various mixtapes that have come out that actually include the original versions of, of a lot of those songs. Because a lot of those songs end up getting remixed and like spread it out throughout a lot of his other uh, posthumous albums. But for the most part, man, I mean, Thug Life, it's not bad, man. It's, it's, it's a solid record, man. I mean, it's very hardcore. It's very rough. It's, very, it's a very raw and gritty album, which is what Tupac wanted. Uh, he he wanted he wanted it to be more underground. He I I don't think he was looking for it to be a very mainstream record to begin with. So it definitely conveys that you know everybody comes hard on this record. Everybody in the group, you know Pac, you know Mo Prime, Macadocious, Rated R, you know Big Psych, they all come hard. They all come hard with the lyrics. You know there's it's, this is a, it's a pure unadulterated gangster rap album. You know that's that's just the best way to put it. And uh. You know, it's got 10 tracks, but you know, within those 10 tracks, man, there's there's some there's some good ones on here, man. Like the first the first song on the album that kicks it off, Bury Me a G, is one of the best songs. This is a very very smooth, kind of kind of smooth song uh that you can ride to. And of course, it was one of those instances where Tupac starts predicting his death and everything that would happen later on. But that's that's one of my favorites on here, Bury Me a G. You know, pour out a little liquor, which I think was on the the above the rim. I think it was on the above the rim soundtrack, which that was a movie that Tupac starred in. One one of Tupac's signature roles when he played Birdie in Above the Rim. But I know I don't know if pour out a little little liquor. I can't remember if it was on the soundtrack, but I do know it was in the movie because it was it was on that part where Marlon Wayans walks into that club and he shoots and kills uh, Tupac's character Birdie. Let's see, Stay True, Stay True, that's another favorite one of mine's, uh, yeah, that, it's just got, it's, it's got that, uh, it's kind of got like this kind of, sort of, it's it's a hard song, but it also has this kind of like mellow kind of West Coast vibe to it as well, let's see, Under Pressure, Under Pressure is another one, first time I heard that song was on uh, the Tupac uh, Resurrection documentary, that's, a, that's another one, Street Fame is Ill, uh, Cradle to the Grave, Straight balling, straight balling. That's another. That's a Tupac solo one right there. Uh, that's a Tupac favorite as well. That was on the Tupac Resurrection soundtrack too, man. I really like that song. Really cool, man. How long were they mourn me? Featuring Nate Dogg, uh, which that was like one of the one of the earliest collaborations between Tupac and the Death Row Records artist before he even signed the Death Row. But but for the most part, man, I think the Thug Life album. Is uh, I think it's a solid, I think it's a solid album. You know, I don't think it's 
I don't think it's that great either, but like I said, it don't get a lot of replay value for me. You know, every once in a while I'll pop it in. You know, I guess when I really, when I want to hear some pure unadulterated gangster rap or whatever, that's the way to go. But yeah, this like there's nothing there's nothing light about this record. There's nothing light about this record. I mean, the lightest songs you could get is like "Bury Me a G" and maybe "Stay True" and you know how long would they mourn me and pour out a little liquor? Though that's about it. Oh, and this is the story about how long would they mourn me? Uh, that Tupac recorded that song because. He was in the, I think he was in the studio one day, and some of the members of Thug Life came in there and they told him about a friend of his named Cato that got killed. He had got killed. He had just got killed, and they immediately did that song right there that night in the studio. And they called Nate Dogg and got him up there. Uh, they got him up there to record the hook and everything. But uh. Yeah, and Warren G. Warren G. actually produced that song too. Yeah, Warren G. produced "How Long Will They Mourn Me." Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, Warren G. actually produced that song. But yeah, like I said, man, it's just like I said, man. It's a it's a it's a pure it's a pure unadulterated gangster. It's one of I think it's one of the hardest uh gangster rap albums to ever come out in the nineties, man. So if you're looking for some hard gangster rap, man, definitely pick up that Thug Life album. Uh, unfortunately, man, they didn't. They didn't ever get get around to uh, record a volume two. I don't even know if they even had tracks ready for a volume two. But I do remember uh, the Thug Life album actually used to come with different. It used to come with a different color cover art, like the like the most the most well known cover art is the you know the black and white one that says Thug Life. But I remember a long time ago. I seen one that was like green and white. I seen one that was green and white. And I thought that might have been like volume two or something like that. But no, nah, they never did record a volume two. They didn't get a they didn't get around to it. So I guess that might have just been a rare a rare version that uh that I I came across. Or I could just be making that up. Might maybe I dreamed that or something. I don't know. But yeah, man, that's like I said, man, it's not a it's not a bad album. It's pretty solid, but for me, it just doesn't get a whole lot of replay value, you know. Because I feel like if the record had it came out the way it was supposed to, it would have been a whole lot better. Because there's a lot of songs, a lot of great songs that that got recorded for this album that didn't make it because of the whole criticism that was going on behind Gangsta Rap. Because there's actually a song called "Running from the Police" that was recorded for this record that featured uh, the Notorious B.I.G. And I think it was like right before he it was right before he blew up with his own solo career. Yeah, there, there, there's a few songs that were recorded for this record that didn't make it, man. But anyway, man, we we gonna get to the next we gonna get to the next album that was number five, so we gonna get to number six. I mean, not number six, but uh, number four. And this is uh, strictly for my niggas, released in 1993. Now this is Tupac's second solo album. This is his second solo album, and this is the record that put Tupac on the map. This was his breakthrough album because it featured one of his biggest hit, two of his biggest hits, "I Get Around" and "Keep Your Head Up." Those have become signature Tupac songs. Everybody knows those songs. And uh, this right here, this was the beginning. This was the beginning of Tupac becoming more aggressive and more hardcore with his style. Like I said, on Tupacalypse Now, 
that that record was more like socially conscious, more Afrocentric in nature. It had more of a, it actually had more of kind of an East Coast vibe, more akin to what like Public Enemy and Boogie Down Productions were doing out there in New York. And you know, of course, you have to understand that Tupac is he was originally from New York City, even though he claimed the West West Coast and the West Side, he was originally from New York City. He didn't actually move to California until he was 17 years old in 1988. But anyway, though, you know, Tupacalypse now was more, it was more Afrocentric, more in vain of what, what a lot of that more politically minded and socially conscious East Coast artists was doing. But to me right here, strictly for my niggas, man, this is where Tupac, this is where he hit his stride. And this is where he managed to take that revolutionary part of him and, and blend it with that gangster image. Or that gangster style. Now, a lot of people say that when Tupac did this record, you know, he had just came he just come off of doing the movie Juice, you know, which was his first major uh, film role, you know, playing the character of a bishop. And a lot of people were saying that he was trying to live up to that character of a bishop. But from interviews and stuff that I've watched from people that knew Pac, he was always kind of like aggressive and turned up. He was turned up before that was even. A, a term turned up. He was always ready. To, he was always just aggressive and whatever. And he always had guns and things of that nature. Even before then, I just think with this record, Pac saw a niche. I think he seen what artists like Cube and Ice T were managing to doing. They were managing to be politically minded with their lyrics, but they also gave it a gangster twist to appeal to the hood, to appeal to the streets. And I think Pac picked up on that, and he took it. And ran with it as well, and he ended up being very successful with that, with that, you know. But yeah, strictly, strictly for my niggas is a way more harder and way more aggressive album than Tupacalypse now was. You know, this is where Pac really started to really, really come into his own, and he was also a lot more angrier on this record because this album right here was his response to a lot of the criticism he received after his first record, especially with Dan Quayle. And like, like if you remember. On the on the first Tupac album, I told you about the controversy surrounding that song, A Soldier Story, and how Dan Quayle, then vice president, how he like went on the attack towards Tupac and stuff of that nature. So on this album, Tupac, he like responds to Dan Quayle in several songs throughout the album. He's like taking shots and and blatantly dissing Dan Quayle on a lot of on several different songs on this record, man. He he's calling Dan Quell out and everything like that. That's to me I think that's pretty bold. That's pretty bold, you know, a hip hop artist actually calling out the, the then vice president of the United States. But yeah, there's several songs where he takes like little shots at Dan Quell, man. But like yeah, like I said, man, this strictly for my niggas, man. This was this was Pac's breakthrough record. This is what made him into a star. It was the beginning of that. He was already becoming a movie star, but this is the album that really kind of put him in that. It put him in that place. It put him in the top echelon of, of hip hop artists of the '90s. You know, people really started to pay attention when this record dropped. So you, some of my favorite songs on here, besides the two singles, man, I get around and keep your head up. Well, let me talk about them first. You know, I get around. That song was actually originally a digital. Originally a digital underground song, you know that was that actually was a digital underground song, and uh, 
the group didn't really know what to do with that song. They were like riding around with the beat for days and days, and they they let this they gave the song to different members of the collective and the affiliates. You know, they they kind of let the song float around for a bit, and then Tupac heard the song and he wanted it. Well, what actually what happened was uh when the first single to come off of Strictly for My Niggas was actually the first track on the album called Holly If You Hear Me. Holly If You Hear Me is a hardcore hip hop song. Uh very aggressive, very political. The video was very like dark and you know, the very it's very dark and violent. That was the first single produced by the Lie Squad. And when Tupac put that single out, uh uh, Strictly for my niggas was actually starting to do the same thing that Tupacalypse now did. It was it wasn't doing very well. The album was kind of tanking and falling in the charts. And Money B is the one that told him that you know I get around should be the single. Money B actually wanted Tupac to. He actually wanted him to. They actually told him to put that song out first, but he wouldn't do it. He wanted to put out Holly. If you hear me, is a favorite to uh, Stretch who produced that song. But yeah, I get around, you know, this was, this is where Tupac really started to, uh, that's where he really started to build up his female fan base. This is when the ladies really started to like Tupac. Well, he, the ladies already liked him, but I'm just saying, as far as like, when he came out with this song, this is where his female fan base really started to really develop. You know, the, you know, more and more the ladies really started to, to like him, you know, you, Check out the video. You know, everybody knows the video. The video, they shot this video at this big, beautiful house. They're at the pool and everything, having a good time. But, yeah, this is he, he walking around shirtless and everything like that. He's fit and stuff like that. So th- this is where the ladies really started to really dig Tupac a lot more, man. And then you got Keep Your Head Up, another signature Tupac song where, you know, he's he, it's, it's more of a women a women empowerment song. You know, he's telling ladies to be strong and to keep their head up in spite of the adversities and stuff of that nature, man. And uh, it's, it's been a it's been a signature Tupac song, man. Everybody knows that track, man. You know, he he he's talking about how you know you know how women how strong women are and how you know he's he's just giving it up to the ladies on this song in a, in a very positive way. And let's see what's some other songs on here. Oh yeah, I gotta I gotta talk about uh, last words. One of my favorite Tupac songs of all time, and I'm gonna tell you why because it's the only collaboration that he did with Ice Cube and Ice T. As far as publicly, like I don't know if they might have recorded other songs that never got released, but man, Tupac, Ice Cube, and Ice T on one song. I remember when I first bought this. My mom first bought me this CD. She bought it for me for Christmas one year, man. And I heard Ice T and Ice Cube. I was like, "Whoa!" I never knew Tupac did a song with Ice Cube and Ice T. I, I was just blown away, man. That's 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 one of the best songs on the record, man. All three of them dudes on one song. And you, you gotta understand, they they all kind of like in a similar vein, man. They got that whole revolutionary but gangster style, man. And all in them on this one track together. Everybody's verse is lit, man. But I gotta tell you. Out of all three of their verses, man, I think Ice T had the standout verse, man. Ice T really killed it, man. His his flow and his whole delivery on that record, on that song, was just ill, man. If you ain't never heard Last Words, go check, go on YouTube right now and check out that song Last Words featuring uh Ice Cube and Ice T. That man, it makes me wish that 
that Tupac, I seen Ice Cube had to do more songs. You know, back in back in the day, man. And and what's so ill about it, man? Because I kind of feel like that was them kind of kind of make. I don't know. If I want to say passing the torch, but it was kind of like them like giving Tupac his like giving him like props, man. Because he was still kind of like the new kid. He was still kind of like the new kid on the block. I mean, you know, Cube and Ice T had already they were already practically veterans at this point. It's, it, to me, it was like they were just kind of like giving it up to him, giving his props. Like, yeah, this, this, yeah, this dude is about to be the one now, which he ended up being. I, I would say he, I could, I, you could arguably say he ended up being bigger than both of them for up until his untimely death, man. But yeah, when I first heard that song, with I was like, oh man, he got Cube and Ice T on this song. Like, imagine if they had to did a record together. Imagine if all three of them had to did a record together back then, man. That probably been the illest thing ever. Let's see what what's another song over here, man. Uh, guess who's back is a dope one. I like representing '93, man. Especially that I think it's the second verse where he starts uh, name dropping all the popular artists in hip hop music during that time. He he name drops TLC, E40, Too Short, Cypress Hill, Naughty by Nature. Anybody that whoever was on the whoever was on top in 1993 during that period, man. He was name dropping them on that song. And then uh, the title track, Strictly For My Niggas, is ill, too, man. I, I I like that song, man, because it's eerie. It's very dark and eerie and haunting. It's, it's got this kind of menacing vibe to it. It almost sounds like something that you hear from a from like a horrorcore artist or something like that, man. But it's, it's, it's definitely the dopest. It's definitely one of the dopest songs on there. Let's see, Five Deadly Venoms, man. That features Tretch from Naughty By Nature and Apache. All of them are from the Flavor Unit crew. And we all know that Tresh and Pop were real close friends. And let's see here, man. The Streets of Death Row is a dope one. Uh, Point the Finger. Point the Finger, that's one of the main songs where Pop was, like, responding to a lot of his critics. You know, people were trying to blame him from a lot of, for a lot of stuff. And he was, like, in that song, he was pretty much responding back to them. But, yes, yeah, Pop, man, he, like I said, man, this is when, this was the beginning of Pop really be, uh, doing the more thug, going the more thugged out route, man. But he was angry at this part. It's, excuse me, he was angry at this time, though, man, because, you know, he was, you know, Dan Quayle was on him, and then, like, a lot of people from his, his old neighborhood uh, out there in Marin City, man, you know, they were blaming him for that incident that happened where a shootout took place between some guys and Tupac's guys, and unfortunately and sadly, a seven-year-old kid ended up getting hit by a stray bullet and got killed. So a lot of the people from their world, like, really going at Pac about that. And there was a lot of stuff that was going on. And, you know, you could say that this album, in a lot of ways, was Tupac's response to a lot of the stuff that was happening around him at that time. But it was, but like I said, this was his breakthrough record. You know, this was the one that where he hit his stride and he just took off from there. He just kept going and going and going. All right, man. So that was number four, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. That was number four. So we're going to get to number three. I don't know how y'all going to feel about this, man, but hey, it is what it is. So number three, man, I got, I got all eyes on me. I got all eyes on me at number three. Okay. So this was Tupac's first album on death row records, man. And, we all we all know the history, man. You know, in between that time, you know, Pac Pac was in was in prison, but 
we'll elaborate on that more when we get to that to that album. But this was Tupac fresh out of jail. He owned Death Row. Death Row Records at the time was huge. Biggest rap label in the world at that point. Snoop Dogg was on the label. You know, they they had t- they they was taking off, man. But, you know, it was really when Pac got on the label. It was really when Pac got on the label where they really started making that money. And they really started getting that attention, man. 96 was a real good year. And at the same time, it was a bad year for Death Row. But, you know, All Eyes on Me. Two-disc album. Uh, it's it's considered the first double album in hip-hop, but that's actually not true. It, it, it's probably the first double album by a solo artist in hip-hop, but the actual first double album in hip-hop was actually the Down South Hustlers album, compilation album that Master P did back in uh, 95. That was actually the first double album in hip-hop, but... All Eyes on Me was was our, you could say it was the first double album by a solo artist, man. But man, uh, a really really good album, man. I, I think the only reason why I don't have it higher is because a lot of the songs on here are kind of overplayed now. And I'm I'm not trying to take nothing away from it, man. You know how do you want? I mean, you know it's got how do you want it? You know, uh, two of America's most wanted. I can still knock, man. Uh, Let's see what else. You know, I ain't mad at you. I still enjoy. So I don't know. Maybe maybe not overplay, man. But to well, I don't know how many times. I don't know. California Love. I mean, it's a, it's a good song, man. But I don't know if I want to hear it too much anymore. <laughs> I mean, because I've heard it so many times. I mean, I think I just prefer the remix that's on this record, and that uh. But I can still definitely listen to Two America's Most Wanted, man, featuring Snoop. And I, I really, I really thought that was a dope collaboration, man, between him and Snoop. Because at the time, both him and both Snoop and Pop were going through legals, going through legal situations. You know, Snoop had just got off that murder case that he beaten, but he still was entangled in legal, in legal things and stuff like that. But definitely a dope song produced by Daz, uh, all about you. Uh, the album opener, Ambitions as a Rider, man, uh, where they sampled that Pee Wee Herman, by, what's his name? Uh, I can't think of that, the artist's name that made that song. He made a song called the Pee Wee Herman back in the late 80s, but they sampled that. And come on, that that whole hook, I can't deny it. I'm a straight rider. You don't want to F with me. That, that How many people have, like, like uh, redone that line? interpreted that line i mean fabulous did it famously when he did that song can't deny it which featured nate dog on the hook you know fabulous did it famously when he came out with his first big hit can't deny it and that uh so many people have like inter- in- interpreted that that whole hook man it's and it's, it's one of the best album openers too man because anytime you hear that beat that doom 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 you already know what it is you already know what it is so uh definitely a great album opener. All about you. Uh, another fan favorite. Scandalous is probably my favorite, man. That that was a real good one, man. Very smooth and jazzy feel to it. That uh Yeah, a lot of good songs on here, man. Only God can judge me. That was the first time I ever heard rapping Forte. That was the first time I ever heard rapping Forte was on Only God Can Judge Me. But yeah, a lot of great songs. Trading War Stories featuring Sibo. First time I ever heard Sibo. 
uh, that's a dope track. I, I kind of like the vibe of that song. It kind of has, it kind of has kind of an East Coast vibe to it a little bit. But everybody trading war stories about all the struggles and all the hardships and stuff that they've been through in their life, man. But the second disc is actually the best disc, man. The, the second disc is the one that has more of the deeper cuts. Uh, you know, a great kickoff on the album is "Can't See Me," featuring George Clinton. Cause I remember, I don't know my, I don't know why, but every time I heard you, when I used to hear "Can't See Me," I used to think that that was uh, Snoop Dogg's "What's My Name" when I was a kid. I used to always think that that was Snoop Dogg's "What's My Name" about to come on, but it was, it would be Tupac. I, I kind of be thrown off when I would hear Tupac's voice come on, like, huh? But yeah, uh, "Can't See Me" is a dope opener to this too, man. Very G Funk inspired track, featuring none other than George Clinton. Uh, Shorty wanna be a thug, man. Holla if you hear me. Holla at me. Holla at me is really cool. It's a wonder why they call you bitch, which is another fan favorite. Man, Thug Passion, Picture Me Rolling. Uh, the title track, All Eyes on Me, Run the Streets. We got uh, Michelle A on the hook. Ain't Hard to Find is another favorite. That's a, that's a posse cut, man. E-40, Be Legit, Richie Rich, D-Shot, Sebo. I mean, the whole Northern California is on that song, man. The whole Northern California. Well, not the whole Northern California, but, the heavy, but a lot of heavy hit hitters from Northern California is on that song. Uh, and I think Spice One, Spice One was originally was originally supposed to be on that song, but I think he ended up getting locked up in jail or something. He didn't make it on the album. But yeah, all eyes on me, man. It's, I don't know, man. It's, it's a whole lot that I can say about this album, but they I can't say nothing that hadn't already been said. You know, it's it's considered Tupac's uh, magnum opus in a lot of ways. His quintessential album. You know, it's his most popular album, his best selling record. You know, everybody knows the hits from the record, California Love, How Do You Want It, I Ain't Mad At You, huge hits, uh, still mainstays on the radio, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know, I don't listen to radio that much, but a lot of heavy hitting songs on this record, man, a lot of heavy hitting songs on this record, but, you know, the reason I put it in number three, though, because, you know, even though I think it's a good it's a good sound in the album, and I like the more celebratory vibe that Tupac had on there, man, I just think that, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't like it as much as I like the other records. You know, it's not really my favorite Tupac album. It, it used to be, but as I got older and I started digging more into the other albums, it kind of fell down in my ranks. But but anyway, man, uh, I got it at number three, and I it's, it's a it's a legendary record. It's a legendary record, man. You know, the first double album in by a solo artist in hip hop. You know, it's 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 got a lot of great songs that are still like pop cultural classics now, but it, it's definitely one of the highlights of Pac's uh, career, man. And he really did his thing on there. It, it took him to the other, it took him to the next level. Although he didn't get to really enjoy it too long, though. All right, so the next album, so at number two, man, we got uh, the Machiavelli album, the Don Caluminati, the Seven Day Theory. So uh, this was Tupac's. Uh, you could say this was his first uh, posthumous album because it came out, I think, about two or three months after his death. But most fans don't really consider the Machiavelli album to be a true uh, posthumous album because Tupac actually had creative input on this record. Everything from the cover art 
to the songs that got put on the record, to the production, the mixing, everything that went into making this album, Pac actually had creative input. He was there to see it through. He just didn't get to see it get released. But, uh, yeah, this record, I think what I like about this record is that it's a good blend of where Tupac was at that time. I mean, it's a, it's a dark album. It's a, it's a darker record because that, you got to understand, during the recording of this record, there was a lot going on. You know, the whole East and West thing, the East versus West thing was going down. It was a, it was a lot of stuff going on. Like, you know, Pac just, he wasn't in the best place in his life, honestly. You know, it was it was just a lot of stuff going on at this time. And, of course, he ended up dying not too long after the the recording of the record. He didn't get to see a release. And stuff of that nature. It's, it's I don't know. It's it's kind of it's, it's a bit of a dark record in a lot of ways, and it's kind of sad too because you know, you know, like he died like not long after the recording. You know, the whole Vegas incident happened, and he ended up getting murdered not long after that. And in a lot of ways, when you listen to this record, you can kind of it's kind of like a foreshadowing of what was about to, what was going to happen if you listen to the record, man. It's like dang. Cause it was just so much, it was just so much going on, and I would have to say that this was probably Pac's angriest record. It was his angriest record, man. Cause he, he, he kind of took this album and used it as the opportunity to kind of get back at a lot of people that mistreated him and wronged him during the whole his whole prison stint. People that he felt that turned their back on him and stuff like that, that nature. Cause one of the illest songs on the album is "Against All Odds." I think that's one of the realest diss songs of all time because he's actually going at people. He's actually, he's not just going at rappers, man. He's going at like really st- real street people. And like he's, he's, he's going at the people who allegedly had him shot and robbed at Quad Studios in 94 and stuff of that nature, man. He's, I don't know. He's, he's just really, he's just really letting it all out on that record, man. Like it's almost like he when he was recording it, man. It's like he, it's like he, it's like he. I don't know. I, you can't really, you don't really know a dead man's perspective, man. But it's almost like you know, maybe he felt like you know, maybe he better get it all out now because he may not get that next opportunity or whatever. But he just let it all loose on that record. I mean, he, he's really talking about real street dudes on this record. He's not talking about no rappers. He's talking about real street cats. But that, that's one of the biggest highlights on the record, in my opinion. And then, of course, you got the the biggest song from the record, Hail Mary. Everybody knows Hail Mary. You know that's probably a lot of people's favorite uh, Tupac song. One of the one of the illest put punchlines in history, in the history of hip hop. Then, uh, you know, to live and die in L.A., California Love Part Two, another ode to Los Angeles. I I really dig how Tupac. He really. You could tell that he really loved living in Los Angeles, man. Now, he he gave a he gave a shout out to a lot of the neighborhoods in in Los Angeles. You know, you could tell that he was really versed in that culture, in that Los Angeles culture, man. And he really, when you listen to that song, even though Tupac wasn't really from L.A., when you listen to that to the song and the way he's describing a lot of the the culture and environment around there, man, you can just close your eyes and you can kind of imagine being there. And him like maybe it's it's like it's almost like him giving you a tour guide to the real Los Angeles in a lot of ways when you listen to Live and Die in LA, man. But a lot of great songs on here, man. Uh 
And I would say, and the reason why I said that this album was like a, a good blend of where Tupac was and where he was going is because he also he also starts to return back to that more political uh, mindset that he had like on the first record, like on the first Tupac album. But this time, he's a lot more angrier and a lot more militant. He's a lot more militant on this record too, man. And uh, you know, songs like "White Man's World" and stuff like that, and you know, "Hold Your Head." And another highlight on here is "Crazy," the song called "Crazy," which was between him, which featured Badass from the LBC crew. R. R. I. P. The Badass. Uh, he passed away. Was I think it was last year? Badass passed away, or it might have been towards the end of 2019. I forget. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it had to be last year. Yeah, it was last year. Yeah, badass. He passed away, so R.I.P. to him. But uh, he got on that song because it, that song was actually supposed to have like the outlaws on it, but they were taking too long with their verses. And badass was in the studio, and Tupac asked him like, "You got something for this?" And he did. He he went. And he wrote down his rhymes and went in the studio and busted. And he ended up being on that song. And his verse is actually one of the highlights on the other other album. So, a lot, a lot of good songs on here, man. Uh, Me and My Girlfriend, which was inspired by Nas. Even though him and Nas were kind of uh, somewhat beefing at that time. Uh, Tupac was a big fan of Nas's uh, It Was Written album. And there was a song on there called I Gave You Power, where Nas is rapping from the perspective of a gun. And that was that's, that song is what inspired Tupac to do me and my girlfriend uh because when if you're not really listening to the lyrics you think that tupac is actually talking about a natural woman but he's but no he's actually talking about a gun that's what he's talking about he's actually talking about a gun so uh and of course you know you could say jay-z and beyonce kind of they sort of kind of remade this song like in back in 2003 that what's that that 03 bonnie and clyde you could say they kind of remade that song a little bit, although I think their song was more about them, about them being in love with each other or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You could say Jay Z and Beyonce kind of remade that song, but it's got it's got a different subject matter. But yeah, man, it's definitely a dope, a dope album. And like I said, most people don't really consider it to be a. Uh, a true uh, posthumous album because Tupac actually had creative input on the record, but you know it did. It was the first album to come out after his death. But yeah, man, it's 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 really good though. It's a really good album, man. You know, it. The only thing is that you know when you listen to it, man, you kind of it's, it's it's very dark and angry, man. So you can kind of tell that Pop wasn't really in the best place when he recorded that record. You know, you could you could tell that he was really. You could tell that he really had a lot of weight on his shoulders when he recorded it. And then, of course, man, you know, it, like I said, you know, he died right before the record even came out. So it is what it is, man, but it's still a great record, man. So now we get to the number one album on my uh, rank on my rank list. And y'all already know what this album is. It's the only album I haven't talked about yet. And that's uh, Me Against the World, man. Released in 1995. Now, this, in my opinion, this is this is Tupac's most introspective record, man. He really got personal on this record, man, because he was once again, man, he was going through a lot at this time. Um, he had just got shot and robbed at Quad Studios, and then uh, he got that whole sexual assault case put on him. 
you know, where that woman, the woman accused him of rape or whatever. Him and some dudes, like, raped her, allegedly raped her in the hotel and stuff of that nature. And then he ended up going to prison, doing, going to jail, or during the recording of the record. So a lot of a lot of that pain and a lot of that frustration and anger that Pac was dealing with at that time, it came out on this record. But it didn't really come out in an angry way. Uh, it, it came out more as in a, like I said, it's an introspective album. It's probably Pac's most introspective work. But uh, it's more of like a reflective nature as opposed to being angry. Like Like the Machiavelli album, a lot of that was anger. A lot of that was aggression and anger, man. But this, Me Against the World is more, like, reflective in a lot of ways. It's almost like, it's almost like Pop was, like, kind of just, you could say he maybe he was, like, just sitting around and contemplating and really trying to comprehend and really understand what everything was going on around him at that time, man. Because it was a lot, man. But, you know, this album's got one of my favorite Pop songs, So Many Tears, man. Which I used to hear that on the radio all the time back in the day when it first came out, and I remember seeing the video a few times too back then. I used to wonder why Pac's why Pop wasn't in the video at that, you know, at that moment. I know I was a kid. I didn't understand everything that was going on at that point. But a lot of good songs on here, man. Me Against the World, the title track, which that was actually on the Bad Boys soundtrack, the first Bad Boys movie. Will Smith and Mar Lawrence, it was on that soundtrack. And then you got Temptations, which is, you know, one of those smooth, like, hip-hop R&B songs, man. A real cool video to that one. I, I really, yeah, Easy Mo B produced that song, man. I, I really like the boom-bap-ish kind of jazzy feel that that record got, man. It's, it's real ill. It's real ill, man. And, and I like how they use that. I like how they flip that Eric Sermon sample. Yeah, they flip that Eric Sermon sample from, uh... From his his verse on the Red, on, I can't think of the name of that Red Man song that he did on Red Man's first album, but that 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 hey, hey, hey yeah that's an Eric Sermon sample that's Eric Sermon but Easy Mo B like sampled that and made it a part of the song man I thought that was real ill it really it really gave that song a, a different kind of flavor man but I like the really smooth kind of dark jazzy but sensual feel that that song gives off man because it because because it's more of like a romantic song in a lot of ways not it's not like a sappy mushy romantic type song but i don't know it's just just got it's just got a real like really cool vibe to it man but it's kind of it's it's dark but it's got but it's cool at the same time if you get if you catch my drift but uh i see oh man lord knows is a dope song Lord knows it's a dope song like that. That song right there is also kind of sad too, man, because it's it's another one of them songs where Tupac, you can kind of tell that he's just kind of venting out his frustrations of what he's dealing with and how he's feeling at the time with all this stuff that's going on around. I mean, I mean, he's even like kind of contemplating suicide on a lot of on this song. He because there's there's a line that he keeps repeating through the song where he says, "If I wasn't high, I'd probably try to blow my brains out and stuff of that nature, man." So. You know, a lot of man, man. That's that's a lot to deal with, I guess, man. But yeah, man. But it's but it's still it's still a good song, man. Because he talks about a lot of stuff, man. He talks about like seeing homies being dead, getting killed in front of him, and stuff like in that nature. It's it, it's a good song. It's sad, but it's also but it's also really good, man. I think that's what makes it good is that it really invokes a lot of that pain and stuff that he was really going through at the time, man.
And then, of course, it's the biggest hit from this album, Dear Mama, which has become a, a Tupac staple. You know, one another one of his signature songs. Like, you got to understand, when when this when this came out, man, there wasn't a lot of rappers that was making songs about their mama, dedicated to their mama, man, you know. So, uh, excuse me, yeah, Pop was one of the first ones, one of the first ones to really do that, to make songs dedicated to their mothers and stuff of that nature, which, in a lot of ways, I kind of feel like that's something that Master P kind of peeped at, and he kind of, that influenced him to do that, because if you know, if you listen to a lot of those No Limit albums, man, almost every No Limit album has a mama song, a song dedicated to the mama or something like that, but, yeah, Dear Mama, you know, another signature, another signature song. And a, and a song that's transcendent, man, because a lot of people like that song. Like, a lot of grown people, a lot of older adults who probably really didn't care for, like, a lot of that gangster rap or hip-hop. Even, like, Dear Mama, man. But, uh, let's see, Death Around the Corner, man. First time I heard Death Around the Corner was on the Tupac Resurrection soundtrack. That's another ill song. Then the last song called Outlaw, which, that's, that's, that's a real dope song. I remember, uh... First time I heard that was at a, it was a long time ago, man. It was, um, yeah, my mom, man, me and her, we was at her best friend's house one time. And her, her best friend's son, I was in, we was playing the Xbox. This is when Xbox first came out. And I remember he had, he had a lot of the Me Against the World songs, like on the, on the Xbox. And we would be listening to a lot of those songs. He had a video, he had this basketball, he had this basketball game, video game where you could like play your end game, your, the songs that you have on your uh, Xbox, you could play them in, within the uh, video game. And uh, he was playing a lot of the Tupac, Me Against the World songs. And I remember Outlaw was one that, that kept uh, like coming up, you know, within the game and stuff like that, man. But First time I heard, that's that's a real dope song too, man. I th- I think the out I think the outlaws, which were known as Dramacidal at the time, I think they came real hard on that one. But uh, but yeah, me against the world, man. Honestly, man, I feel like this is Tupac's uh best one. Of his, I think that's his best record. A lot of people consider it to be his best album, and uh, you know, it, I I think it's just a I think it's one of his most introspective albums and he really he really came hard on he really did he really did a good job in evoking a lot of emotion and the pain and stuff that he was going through at the time. So uh that's why I had to put it at number one. But uh yeah man, I hope you all enjoyed this uh this two pot ranking video. It, it ran kinda long, longer than I usually wanted to, but you know, I'm a two pot fan and I just had to really elaborate and go in on a lot of these songs, man. So uh you know, I apologize if this episode is a little too long for you, but hey, you know, I think it was worth it. I mean, you know, he's one of my favorite artists, and uh, so I hope you guys will enjoy this episode and maybe peep out some of these albums or whatever if you're not that familiar with Tupac's uh, music. But uh, R.I.P. to Tupac, uh, this is the Boombox Guru. As always, everybody stay blessed and be safe out there. Peace. What's good, everybody? Hope you enjoyed this new episode of the Boombox Guru. And if you did enjoy this episode, I want you guys to do me a favor. I want you to follow me on Spotify at the Boombox Guru. Check it out on Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, 
Radio Public. You can also follow my Instagram page at the Boombox Guru. You can also like my page on Facebook, known as the Boombox Guru. Just go ahead and check me out. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody that you know that might be interested in this type of content about the Boombox Guru. And as always, hope everyone has a lovely day and be blessed.